Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. morning we're going to be in Daniel chapter 7 and the last time we looked at the lion's den Daniel and the lion's den what great applications that are made for us today the different trials that we go through and today's title message is thy kingdom come right we know this from when Jesus taught his disciples how to pray and part of it was thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven do we believe that or do we not believe that Well, this is going to put that belief to the test because God gives Daniel this vision. He gives him dreams and visions, and Daniel is, at the time, this is written in chapter 7, it's still the Babylonian Empire, and God shows Daniel all the successive empires that would take place after the Babylonians, but to take heart because God's kingdom, the Messiah's kingdom, the Lord's kingdom would eventually come, which is an awesome thing to comfort him and to comfort us. As a matter of fact, uh, Daniel is very close to the book of Revelation. I actually taught the book of Revelation, and this is the first time I'm teaching Daniel, and I'm amazed at the similarities. So Daniel, God used him to encourage God's people at the time of the Babylonian captivity. And the parallel is Revelation, where God uses the apostle John to encourage the saints during the time of the Roman occupation, and also... Well, as we read the book of Revelation, we know that we have a future stake in this, um, that there's going to be events that take place. Revelation speaks of it. So the church gets encouraged too, even in the 21st century, with the book of Revelation. So these things are going on, and um, it's actually quite impressive. But, you know, I remember over 20 years ago, I was at a, what you would call a prophecy conference, and this is what God does. God often tells his prophets history before it actually happened. So that's prophecy. And one of the, I remember for the first time, I was in a religion, but I, was never, I wasn't living as a Christian at all, in no way, shape, or form. You would never be able to tell. And I was relying on my religion, but my religion couldn't save me. And Jesus speaks about that as well. But I remember going to this prophecy conference and hearing, now this is over 20 years ago, okay? And it, they're talking about Israel and current events in Iran and Russia and North Africa and all these different regions, Saudi Arabia, the Arabian Peninsula, and how they fit into Bible prophecy. And they're like, wow, this is an exciting time because God's word is really coming alive. Well, in 2015, it's even more amazing, right? Have you been reading the news? Russia is is staged with jackbooted Iranian troops in Syria, right above Israel. Netanyahu keeps making trips to Putin. He's nervous. He doesn't know what's going on. But we know what the Bible says. This has never, ever, ever happened in our history. Ezekiel 38, Ezekiel 39, Isaiah 17 speaks about a a major Damascus strike where the city is, is not like it ever was before. Well, now is the opportunity for that to happen. Don't know. Could it be a dirty bomb? Could it be a skirmish with U.S. troops? Could it be a Russian bomber mistakenly bombing the city? I don't know. But I do know what the Bible says, and I do know that this really wasn't possible, possible before the last few weeks. So this is actually very impressive that we're seeing this, okay? Isaiah 17, that Damascus is a great city within Syria. It's an ancient city. So you watch. You know, the Russians are doing their thing, and they're basically telling us, get out of our airspace. We've pretty much taken over here with the help of Hezbollah and Iran. So I tell you, you know, we, we have to get out of the American bubble because it's, it really is a bubble. It's an illusion. There's a whole world of things that are happening around us that will impact us. But this is encouraging. I don't say this out of fear. I say it out of, wow, the Lord's, it's, it's sooner that the Lord will be coming for his people. And I got to tell you, we had Gospel for Asia come out last Sunday talking about all the things that are going on in India and in that area and all the people getting saved. And sadly, in this country, I think Satan's method is to, to put a, an apathy, a hard-heartedness, a, a, a drunken stupor spiritually, because very few people, it seems, really get saved in the United States, and it's a trickle effect. 
But in some of these other countries, it's by the, the thousands and the ten thousands. So Satan has his methods to keep us asleep spiritually in this country. And I'm just hoping that this message, maybe somebody listening online, give it to a friend. I just hope that it wakes up a lot of people to what's really going on in the world, according to God's uh, prophecy. So let me jump in. I'm going to read the entire chapter, but we're only going to do half for time's sake. So uh, Daniel chapter 7, starting with verse 1. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head while on his bed. Then he wrote down the dream, telling the main facts. Daniel spoke, saying, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And four great beasts came up from the sea, each different from the other. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I watched till its wings were plucked off, And it was lifted from the earth and made to stand on two feet like a man, and a man's heart was given to it. And suddenly another beast, a second like a bear, it was raised up on one side and had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And they said to it, thus to it, arise, devour much flesh. After this I looked, and there was another like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, and trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the other beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I was considering the horns, and there was another horn, a little horn, coming up among them, before whom three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots. And there in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking pompous words. I watched till thrones were put in place and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, the books were opened." I watched then. This is amazing. This little, a little bit of an aside with kind of ancient of days. God is from eternity. So it's a, a euphemism for God the Father. So you see this thing in, in Daniel's vision, and then it, it pans to probably heaven, and you see something that's going on with the Lord. So I watched then because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking. I watched till the beast was slain and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. As for the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven, he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. That's where we're going to end for today, but let me just give you some more filler. 15. I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit within my body, and the visions of my head troubled me. I came near to the one who stood by and asked him the truth of all this. So he told me and made things made this known to made known to me the interpretation of these things. Those great beasts, which are four, are four kings which arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. It's a way to say eternity. Then I wish to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the others, exceedingly dreadful, with its teeth of iron and its nails of bronze, which devoured broken pieces and trampled the residue with its feet, and about the ten horns that were on its head, and about the other horn which came up before which three fell, namely that horn which had eyes and a mouth which spoke pompous words, whose appearance was greater than his fellows. I was watching, and the same horn was making war against the saints and prevailing against them, until the Ancient of Days came, and a judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High, and the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. Thus he said, The fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on the earth, which shall be different from all other kingdoms and shall devour the whole earth, trample it, and break it in pieces, the ten horns and ten kings who shall arise from this kingdom, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the first ones, and shall subdue three kings. He shall speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High, and shall intend to change times and law. Then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time and times and half a time. 
but the court shall be seated. They shall take away his dominion to consume and destroy it forever. Then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. This is the end of the account. And as for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly troubled me, and my countenance changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. If you're new to the church and you know anything about Bible history, don't panic. We're going to make it understandable for you. If we could put up the, the first image. So, little, listen, a lot of information. I always think more information is better than less information. But basically, in chapter 2, you see uh, Nebuchadnezzar's, Nebuchadnezzar's dream, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. He sees this metal man figure, head of gold, chest and arms of silver, belly and thighs of bronze, brass, um, legs of iron, and then the ten toes. So Daniel gets a, another vision, although it's more detailed. Um, you see the correlation between the head and the lion, the chest and the bear, the, the belly and the thighs, and the leopard, and the, you know, this bottom part to this dreadful beast that they can just, artists just make, make an ugly beast and say, well, that must be it, but we don't know what the beast looked like. In chapter 8, there's more information about these kingdoms. And then here you see you know, the Egyptian dynasties, uh, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, and then some of the things today. If we could go to the next image. And then here you see more of a direct correlation, which I'll try to make sense of if we could keep that image up. In chapters 5 and 6, we see contiguity. We see... Um, Daniel, he's under the, the Babylonians, and then Darius the Mede comes in under the Medo-Persians, and then eventually the kingdom goes to the Persians. So there's, there's, it's fluid. Here, the Bible goes back to chapter 7 to focus on something that happened while Daniel was under Belshazzar, which was the last king of Babylon. And details are given. Book of Revelation does the same thing. You know, people get, they hear, they, first of all, the fear that people have. They hear about Revelation and they get frightened. But actually, it's supposed to be a comforting book to those who are in Christ. Because God gives us future before it happens and we know that we can trust him. It's an incredible detail. How would he know this? He's God. That's a history in advance. But the Revelation does the same thing. You see a, a thought, you see a chronology of human history, and then at times it focuses, it zooms in on certain subjects and it gives you more details. Daniel here is roughly in his late 60s under Belshazzar's reign. So what do we have? The first thing that we see is that the winds stir up the great sea and beasts come out of it. Now, if you look at different prophetic books, they use very similar language. And then God explains these things, so that's how we know. But what happens is, Godless mankind, which most of the world is godless. Sadly, Jesus said, many find the narrow path that leads to everlasting life. Most of the world is on the wide path. Now, if you are in the workforce or you're in uh, different, uh, maybe professional venues, you know this. Most of the people are not thinking about God. They're thinking about getting promoted. They're thinking about their kids. They're thinking about all kinds of stuff. So, so people are, are naturally restless. And what happens is this restlessness... Um, now, again, let's not think of our communities, but think of nations. Nations come together, and they form, and they dominate. Who's going to be the most powerful country in the world? We see, well, not so much us anymore, but we see uh, Russia flexing its muscles. We see China flexing its muscles, North Korea. And there's this constant you know, back and forth ebb and flow. Well, look at me, I have a new carrier. Well, look at me, you know, I can bomb you. Well, look at me, I have a new weapon. So this is restless mankind. It was no different thousands of years ago. They had primitive weapons, but they still dominated each other. So you had these nations and empires that arose out of people groups. Now, this happens with individuals too. A person who doesn't know God, who's godless, is restless. And you might say, well, Pastor Joe, I don't know God and I'm not restless. Well, it might be subconscious. Maybe some things that you're doing. Maybe as we get older. I mean, I'm approaching 50. So I'm getting to the other side now. You know, so you only live so long. 
But I'm content. If I, God took me today, I'm fine. I love what I do. I love teaching the Bible. I love being a father and a husband. I don't need to be the head of anything monstrous. But people will subconsciously do things without God because there's a void and they keep filling it with stuff, thinking that that's going to make them happy. And it doesn't. It doesn't. Now, this is so cool because in Daniel 2, Nebuchadnezzar saw these kingdoms as metals. You know, and, and a man, a proud man with these different parts of him were different precious metals, except for the clay, which wasn't worth much. Iron was, was, was useful, gold and silver and, and bronze. This was all useful to kingdoms. So the king sees empires of man like valuable metals. They're desirable, something to attain. Remember, he's not saved in Daniel chapter 2 yet. So God shows the king the future kingdoms in a way he could understand it. Isn't that amazing how God reaches us on our own level? You know, the Bible, oh, I'm afraid to read the Bible. No, read the Bible, pray about it, ask questions. It, it will reach you on your level. That's what God does. That's what he did when he sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to die for our sins. He reached us on our level, sinful human being. He sent someone, he sent God in the form of us, in the form of sinful flesh, although he wasn't, to us, to be among us, to teach us to die for our sins. Pretty impressive to even, to even be born in a bloodline of human beings, fully God and fully man. God reaches us on our level. But Daniel, in chapter 7, now he's a man of God. He's a really good man of God. So he sees the kingdoms not as precious metals. He sees them as beasts. Why does he see them that way? Why do I see that, that way and you see that way? Because, because people rise up in these nations to just dominate another and, and so much bloodshed happens. So Daniel sees it as, as frightening, as grotesque, where the king saw it as something to attain. Interesting, isn't it? Revelation 13, the first uh, few verses, which we'll read, uh, John, now this is fast forward to the future, you know, what um, some 600 years later, the apostle John is given the visions, and he sees this beast with all different parts of the animal morphed into or attached to that beast. And we'll, we'll cover that. What is God revealing to Daniel? Well, there's going to be six future, there's six empires. Four empires were of man and women, right? Four empires. The fourth empire, which is the Roman Empire, morphs into a fifth empire. It becomes a separate empire, inspired by Satan with the Antichrist as the head. And the last empire, the sixth empire, is Messiah's kingdom, which will last forever. You ever go to the mall and you walk into any part of the, you know, some of these big malls, it's so, you need a road map. But they have road maps. You walk in and there's a big, you know, aerial picture of what's going on in the mall. I don't like malls. My, I send my wife to do the mall shopping. But it says, you are here, and there's a big X. Well, if we could put up the last image that we had up, so we had the first image, the second image, and remember, even in Daniel 2, the metal man, the toes mixed, the stone cut without human hands, that was the Messiah's kingdom that was going to come and smash the, the whole figure from the bottom to the top, grind it up in the chaff. Daniel 7, different kingdoms. The last kingdom, which is Christ's kingdom, is, is commensurate with or equivalent to what's going on here. Okay. We know from secular history, you could take my message and scrutinize it if you're not a believer and go home and go into your encyclopedias and knock yourself out. You'll find that everything I'm saying is true because God knows. So basically, this passed us, the Babylonian kingdom. Um, the Medo-Persians have passed us. The uh, Greek empire, okay, for some that don't know history real, really well, oh, yeah, yeah, the Greeks, yeah, yeah. Democracy, representative government is starting to come to me. Okay, then now we're at the Roman kingdom, which took a lot from the Greeks. You can see an ex almost an extension from the Grecian Empire, but they were mighty and they smashed the Greek Empire. And then, if you want to know where we are in human history, the Roman Empire never died. I'm going to make my case for that. It's just, it, it's, it's latent. It's, it's underneath, right? Uh, but basically, we're here. We're right in that area where the, uh, these, this conglomerate of confederation of nations because that's what we do now. We look at the world, and it's called regionalization. You can see it in Asia. You can see it in Africa. You can see it somewhat in North and South America, and you can see it in Europe with the EU. So there's a confederation going on. It hasn't all been formed. 
At, at some point, it will take dominance over most of the world, and then the Antichrist will rise up and he will rule it. So this is, that's your happy message for this morning. Actually, the happy message is to know that God is in control and he's eventually going to, to deal with that situation, right? So verse 4, it says, The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I watched till its wings were plucked off and it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand on two feet like a man and a man's heart was given to it. So the first beast is the lion. I don't know if he heard that in his vision, but it, you could imagine it was probably scary. If you met a lion out in the Babylonian Empire, it was pretty scary. So, you know, God's visions, you know, Daniel, the Apostle John, they both get sick. They both, a human being can't handle all the information that God that is trying to download into them. That's why, like these prophets today who are making a big show, I'm a prophet, and they, they say all this stuff, and it, it doesn't happen, and they, they do like a, a dance, and it... it it's ridiculous, really. When you get God's word, sometimes it's, especially prophetic words, some things that are negative that are going to happen, it's painful to actually deal with. You know, we're only humans trying to be getting that information downloaded to us. So the lion uh, is coinciding with the head of gold in Daniel 2, and that's Babylon, right? Babylon, we read in our history books, I showed you some artifacts up on the screen, the cradle of civilization. It was powerful. It was a royal kingdom. The eagle's wings on a lion. Lions don't have wings. But in this vision, this lion did. Because this lion was able to conquer, Babylon was able to conquer the, the known world with incredible speed. Lions are fast to begin with. So a lion with wings can go pretty darn fast. Now, Babylon defeated Egypt. And Egypt really laid low for many years after this whole Babylonian conquering. Um, in 605 BC, the Bab Babylonians conquered both Assyria and Egypt at the Battle of Carchemish, which is actually in Syria. So Assyria actually is a very ancient, ancient country, and it's amazing some of the stuff that they actually have in their museums in Syria. Unfortunately, ISIS is destroying a lot of it, but it's really, Egypt, uh, it's really history that comes alive. But its wings were plucked off, which means that the conquests eventually stop, and Nebuchadnezzar is humbled. And Nebuchadnezzar, or you, you look at Nebuchadnezzar really as the lion, because the lion now starts this metamorphosis. A few things happen. The lion loses its wings. It becomes a man. So now it must have been weird watching this as Daniel. This animal, lion with wings, doesn't belong to have wings. The wings come off. It stands up as a man. This lion stands on two feet, and a man's heart is put into the lion. Nebuchadnezzar was, was the glory days of Babylon. And at the end of his life, in chapter 4, you can make the argument that Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar becomes a man of God. So he, he's, he's not a beast, a conquering beast anymore, but he turns into a man. This detail is just fantastic. And i got to tell you, we, without the Spirit of God, we just have base desires. Eat, sleep, sex, conquer. It's what we do. Without the Spirit of God. I look at this, um, try to do this tastefully, the, the shooting, the Oregon shooting. I mean, how do you line people up and, and look at, at point-blank range and look into their eyes and have a conversation with them, ask them their religion, they say Christian, and they, they stand up, well, you're going to see God in the next few seconds. Boom! And then the second person, you Christian? Yes, I am. Somebody had a post that said the bravest person in the world was the second person after seeing the first Christian get killed to say, yes, I'm a Christian. So I don't know what happened in that room. I don't know if they try to witness to him and give him the gospel and God loves you, probably. But I can just tell you that to, to murder somebody that close, I mean, being a, a road cop for 24 years, there's things that still make me sensitive that I can't watch, I can't look at. It disturbs me. To kill somebody at point-blank range and just keep lining people up, that person's a beast. Don't tell me that it's because of his childhood and he didn't get a train when he was five and all this humanistic garbage, okay? We are no different than the animal kingdom when we don't have the Spirit of God in us. We rely on fleshly impulses, whatever those impulses might be. Verse 5, And suddenly another beast, a second like a bear, was raised up on one side and had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And they said to it, 
Thus to it arise, devour much flesh. So the second beast is a bear. (laughs) There he is. Okay. The bear coincides with the chest and arms of silver, which is the Medo-Persian Empire. All right. The bear is he's fearsome. He's strong. Again, you don't want to meet a bear out in the woods. Hopefully you can climb a tree real fast and get away from him. But the bear is raised up on one side, which is pretty impressive. He's, he's cockeyed. The bear is uneven because it indicates that Persia really had all the might and the strength. But Persia couldn't conquer Babylon alone. They needed the Medes to be with them. But Persia really was the dominant force. So many applications in this, it's, it's mind-boggling. There's probably some that I missed. So it was lopsided in terms of power. The bear had three ribs between its teeth. The Medo-Persian Empire conquered three main kingdoms in its world takeover. Lydia, Egypt, and Babylon. Those are the three ribs in its teeth. It says, suddenly, and devour much flesh. It actually was very surprising how swift and sure the Medo-Persians were able to conquer the known world. As a matter of fact, there's some historical reports that Belshazzar was told, the Medo-Persians are at the gates. Ah, we have such high walls, there's no way they'll get in here. That very night, his life was taken because they, get, they were able to get in by diverting the Euphrates, getting under, conquering like a Trojan horse, and then uh, slaying Belshazzar. So people were amazed by that. Six, after this I looked, and there was another like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. So the third beast is the leopard. Nobody can fall asleep today, okay? (laughs) If you do, you'll be woken up four times, just letting you know that. Okay, so the leopard. The leopard coincides with the thighs and the belly of bronze, which is the Grecian Empire. Uh, Little thing, you know, it's funny because we unwittingly do stupid things when, even as Christians, I thought, well, but, but a cheetah was really fast. Maybe the Aramaic word was cheetah. Then I started doing a study between cheetah and leopard, and I realized God chose the right word, and I was being a fool. You know what I'm saying? I'm trying to make cheetah fit, and cheetah wasn't in there. Cheetahs go like 80 miles an hour. Leopards go 40. But cheetahs are all, they're all skinny. And then once they, they're done running, they just, they're exhausted. A leopard, if you look at a picture between a leopard and a cheetah, and again, I did some study on this, leopards are versatile. They're diverse. They're a much better cat than a cheetah. Sorry for the cheetah fans. But leopards have bigger heads, they have incredible back and shoulder muscles, they're just a buff cat. And what they do is, what a cheetah can't do, once they kill their prey, they grab it with their teeth, lift it up, this could be well over 100, 200 pounds, and they're able to climb a tree with it, just with the animal in their mouth, and then they go up on a branch and they start eating it. So there's a good reason why God chose leopard over cheetah. It's a superior beast. Leopards can even high jump. They can do a lot of things that most other cats can't do. My cat's at home. My wife feeds them too much. They don't do anything. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) But (laughs) food equals love. (laughs) Anyway. The leopard had four wings on his back, and that expressed an unusual swiftness. Alexander the Great conquered the known world in his late 20s, in incredible speed. That's amazing. I think of a young man, 30 years old. God conquered the world. How did he do it? He was a genius. Sadly, he was a godless person. Um, don't know if he ever repented before he died, but Alexander the Great died an untimely death at 32 years old. Didn't have an heir to raise up to the throne. Now, some of you, history's coming back to you. So what happens is the Grecian Empire was divided into four regions. Regionalization, So that represented by the four heads of the leopard, which was his four generals in the Greek diadachoi. And actually, once they owned these four regions, they they fought with each other for a while, and then the Romans, of course, took over from them. But the empire was divided into four regions. The first one was Ptolemy. He took Egypt and Israel. Uh, Seleucus had Syria and the Middle East. Lysimachus, the third general, took Thrace and Asia Minor, and Cassander took Macedon and Greece. Let me just pause for a moment. This is history in advance. So we're looking back and going, oh, you know, scratching our heads. I'm going to look in that history book. Remember, it was, it was generals and Alexander the Great. 
Here, Daniel, we, we've heard of this stuff. Daniel has no idea who these people are. And God's like pumping him with all this information. And Daniel actually read it. He has to write it down. I don't want to forget any of this. He's a prophet. He's got to write this stuff down. That's why the anti-God group, whatever persuasion they may be from, they have to, one of the books they attack, aside from Revelation, is Daniel. Because there's no way that Daniel could have known this before all this happened, because they deny God's prophecy. And sadly for them, even though it was written in the 6th century B.C., we actually have books, one of them I have at home, called the Septuagint, which is an entire Hebrew Bible translated into Greek by 70 uh, rabbis or Jewish scholars. And that we know for a fact, even atheists know this, that that was written in the 3rd century B.C. We have the Dead Sea Scrolls. We have so much proof that you can't deny this stuff. It's just not possible. There's too much evidence. So verse 7, After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, and trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. So the fourth beast is the terrible beast. Okay. Coinciding with the Roman Empire... The legs of iron, the feet of iron mixed with clay, it was terrible, it was dreadful, it was destructive. For those of you that are into history, the Greeks had the phalanx maneuver, which is an incredible, um, the word phalanges is where we get the bones of the finger because they can be so tightly you know, brought together. Uh, the phalanx maneuver was a maneuver that the Greeks used that they pretty much were unstoppable in their formations. The Romans improved upon their phalanx, and they also added other uh, maneuvers and such and weaponry that they were able to take over the Greeks. They were able to conquer the Greeks. Uh, The Romans had the testudo or the turtle formation. I covered this in Ephesians 5. Uh, They had the, or Ephesians 6. Uh, They had the catapult, they had siege ramps, and they had a primitive form of napalm. Pretty impressive, right? Rome was unstoppable in its conquests. But the last beast had ten horns. Now, in Daniel's day, and even in Revelation, in John's day, they wouldn't have seen the ten horns. Ten horns are rising up now. Okay, the ten horns are commensurate with the ten toes in Daniel chapter 2. A horn is a symbol of authority or rule. It represents kingdoms, nations within that beast or within that empire. So you have an empire with regional nations rising up from within it um, to be able to conquer So the Roman Empire supposedly died in the 5th century, but there's a veiled form of the Roman Empire that's still around. If you go to Europe, you'll find vestiges, even in churches, right? The church calling itself the Roman Church. A lot of things about the church were were Roman, and Rome was a pagan organization. Some churches, they have pictures of them, had torture chambers in the basement. Really, I don't think that torture chambers belong in a church, but apparently they use them in a church, So were these people really men of God? Uh, But there were Roman vestiges in much of Europe. I know people that go back and forth, and they report back to me and take pictures and such. But the Roman Empire, you can't kill this thing. The only thing that can kill it is God, and we'll see that. Rome's formation started prior to the first century B.C., and again has lasted in different forms all the way up into today. Now, some... See, this is amazing, and this is why we have to have an open mind with God's Word and not fall into a a box and stay there. When I got saved, the EU was forming, (laughs) and it was perfect. Everybody was saying, the ten horns, it's the EU. Well, now the EU has 28 members. So there goes that one out the window. We have to not be so narrow-minded to listen to Bible teachers from 20, 30 years ago who had information at the time, but God changes things. That's why we need to be obedient and listen to God, because every day he can show us something new. That's why it's called a walk with the Lord. So I, I'm not really sold on the whole... I mean, I, was, I think the EU is part of it, because it has to come from that area, but I'm not so sure that it's ten nations within the EU. Now, just to broaden your horizons a little bit, and I'm not saying that this is it, but an interesting article was written in 2006, and it was called The Grand 
it's actually a book, The Grand Chessboard, American Primacy and Its Geostrategic Imperatives. Think about a Eurasian possibility. Now, Eurasian is a portmanteau, which is a combination between Europe and Asia brought together. It says, quote, ever since the continent started interacting politically some 500 years ago, Eurasia has been the center of world power. A power that dominates Eurasia, let me interject a little horn, would control two of the world's three most advanced and economically productive regions. A mere glance at the map also suggests that control over Eurasia would almost automatically entail Africa's subordination, rendering the Western Hemisphere, that'd be us, and Oceania geopolitically peripheral to the world's central continent. That's a nice way of saying that we won't be the center of the world anymore. About 75% of the world's people live in Eurasia, and most of the world's physical wealth is there as well both in its enterprises and underneath its soil. Eurasia accounts for about three-fourths of the world's known energy resources. So, so there you have it. Um, some people ask, where are we in end times prophecy? We might be part of the ten horns. We might be, you know, isolationists. There's a, a big movement in, in this country to just pull out of everywhere and divest. See, I'm not going to make prophecy because God didn't tell me anything to tell you, so I'm not going to make stuff up. But there are a lot of different options to why the United States isn't a dominant player in this ten-horned kingdom. Will they be part of it? Probably. Will they be peripheral? Could be. But, you know, we have to think as Christians before we think as Americans. All right, so that's this is the way it has to be. Now, don't get me wrong, I wouldn't want to live in any other country. I love my country, but I also have to put God as a priority over what goes on in this country. Because people that lead this country will disappoint you. God will never disappoint you. Verse 8. I was considering the horns, and there was another horn, or little horn, coming up among them, before whom three of the first horns were plucked out by its roots. And there, in this horn, were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking pompous words. So the little horn comes up, from among the ten horns on this terrible beast, and basically the little horn is the Antichrist. He will rule the revived, morphed, new Roman Empire. So a few things about this. Number one, it's a little horn. It's not as big as the big horn. The big horns are nations. Little horn is not quite as big as a nation, but it still has power and authority. That would be the Antichrist. Two, the eyes of a man and the mouth speaking pompous words. The little horn has human characteristics where the other ten do not. Three, pompous words. I looked that up in uh, my lexicon, and pompous words means speaking huge or domineering things. Taking the totality of Scripture, these are blasphemous things. The person is setting... Don't get... People say anti... anti in, in English wording, anti can be against, but in that language, anti can mean in place of. So he's coming, raising... Listen, what's the best way to unite people um, is through religion. If you can get everybody in the same religion, come on, everybody get on board, ecumenical movement. You can control a lot of people through religion. That's why a lot of people today are turned off towards religion, but we'll see what this guy does. Four, the little horn somehow plucks out three of the established horns prior to rising up, demonstrating his power early on. Don't mess with me, Okay. He does some type of coup. He does some type of maybe three of the smaller nations that there's some, some argument and he, he gets a bunch of people behind him and he attacks and he plucks them up. He deals with them and, and basically they're useless at that point. We see this all the time around the world, coups that rise up. Some, some countries we've supported over the years, America, there's been coups. And then all of a sudden they hate us now. They're not for us because a different group, you know, the Russian Revolution, the Islamic Revolution in Iran, Central American governments, we see this all the time. Not very far-fetched, is it? It's my job to bring you from 2,600 years ago to 2015 and see how all this stuff can make sense in our 21st century world. Revelation 13, 1 through 6. Remember, the beast is also known as the Antichrist. Now, John sees things a little bit differently 600 years later, God gives him even more clarity. It says this, Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads 
and ten horns. Now there's seven heads. We'll get to that. Uh, and on his horn, horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard, his feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him power, his throne, and great authority. The dragon meaning Satan. I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. And I believe, again, I could be wrong, an early assassination attempt. Seems like maybe he gets shot in the head or stabbed in the head or something, or a piano falls on his head, and they think he's dead. And he comes back to life. Again, it's what does Satan do? He tries to copy Jesus Christ. Christ legitimately was resurrected. This guy, it'll appear that he got resurrected, and people are like, wow, this guy is awesome. Verse 4, so they worshiped the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority continue for 42 months, three and a half years, the second half of the tribulation period, which corresponds to Daniel 9 and the um, um, 70 weeks or 70 Shavuot, which is a period of seven years. Then he opened his mouth and blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. There you have it. Brothers and sisters, we need to know our Bibles more. I really believe that maybe this guy is here, maybe he's young, maybe he's in politics, maybe he's working his way up. Don't know. I can't tell you with any certainty. But there will be a certain point where he will now, he'll be very pompous, very arrogant, very charismatic, very good speaker. He'll have it all. He'll have all the answers. They'll just come to him. And the world will now start to coalesce and follow him. And I believe when that happens, I don't think we'll be here. I taught Thessalonians. I taught Revelation. Um, I believe that the Lord will come for his people before that happens. Could be wrong, but I, I think based on the scripture, that's that's reality. But I have to tell you this, that today, if he was here somewhere, somewhere on Facebook or social media, people would be hitting like. People that go to Calvary chapels, people who are Christians. You know, when we don't know our word, we are very susceptible to deception. And we live in the age of deception. And sometimes it's my job to say unpopular things. I see a lot of, you know, I say that Facebook is like truth serum. The CIA must love, the NSA must love Facebook. Oh, look at this guy. Whenever there's a shooter, they go on Facebook and they see his profile. We tell the the world everything about ourselves. There's like nothing left to the imagination. But when I see those that go to good Bible-believing churches, like people, like speeches, like some stupid things, I, I, I don't get it. Because we are the ADHD generation in the Western church. Oh, look, the new iPhone came out. Oh, look, a bird just flew past the window. Oh, look, the Jets were playing at 9.30 this morning. This is what church competes with. And then the expectation is that we go to church and get downloaded with all the information we need to live a godly life. No. We have to put some effort into our relationship with the Lord because we're opening ourselves up for deception and embarrassment. So I think, no. So we'll just continue. (laughs) I'll leave that one alone up there. But verse 9, it says, I watched till thrones were put in place. Now here's the comparison to the ultimate throne, God the Father. And the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow. His hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. This is a heavenly aside. So God's people take comfort. This is what God's doing. It's not like the deists believe the deist that believes that, well, God exists, but he made us and he just disappeared and wants nothing to do with us. He just let kind of, he is intimately involved in our lives if we want him to be. So here is God the Father. Again, this is what gave Daniel's, uh, the believers in that, in that time period, the true believers, hope. And here's God. You know, all these things are going on in the world, but God's just getting warmed up in the dugout and he's ready to hit one out of the park. So let's look at this for a minute. 
Obviously, Daniel, and I'll go to John in Revelation, couldn't see God in his full glory. He wouldn't allow it with Elijah. He wouldn't allow it with Moses. God is, is too perfect. He's too awesome as sinful flesh. Not until we're perfected can we actually be in his literal physical presence forever. And there will, that time will come. But Daniel is given visions which will help him understand symbolism and stuff. So the first thing is white garment and hair as wool. Not white like this. This really isn't white. And over the years it gets dingier and dingier. When we think of white, white paper. Think about white light when it's passed through a prism and all the colors of the spectrum come from that perfect white light. Okay? Um, Revelation 4, the throne room of heaven, very similar. Different colors were seen and, and just the brightness that nobody could explain and it didn't come from the sun. Uh, purity, perfection, ancient. Two, God is seated on the throne. He is the king of all kings. He's the sovereign. He's the ultimate potentate. Kings came and went. God is the king forever. Three, a throne as a fiery flame. That's a picture of judgment. Four, wheels as a burning fire. Think about Ezekiel 1. The wheels, they're always moving, always turning. God is always involved in his creation. Five, a fiery stream. God will mete out judgment with fire, but check it out. God cannot be burned by his own fire. Remember when Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego were thrown into the fiery furnace? God protected them. And it said when they came out, not only were they not harmed, not even the hairs were singed. They didn't even smell like smoke. Because God protected them from man's flames. However, God's flames, there will be a judgment. And I submit to you, it is love telling people about eternity and hell at times. That's love because we're warning people. Okay? But God can't be burned by his own fire, obviously. It says that 10 times or 10,000 times 10,000 minister to God. Maybe that's how many angels there are. That's pretty impressive. In Revelation 4, John saw the four living creatures and the elders and all kinds of um, living beings and people that were surrounding God's throne and worshiping him. That's impressive. And seven, lastly, the court was seated, the books were opened. What God decides to do cannot be undone. I'm not a judge. I've never been a judge. I'm not going to go to school to be a judge. But if I was a judge, a federal judge, a Supreme Court judge... I would be very, very careful with my rulings, especially when I make rulings that go against God and his word. Because those judges, judges, those men and women in black robes, one day will stand naked before the God of all creation and give an account for their rulings. Humbling. The more we know about God, the more we can't help but just to be humble. And I submit to you, the world would be a far better place if more people were humble. Brothers and sisters, this is the God who's on our side, I just want you to know. So whatever you came here with this morning, whatever you're going through, and I'm not minimizing it, is it health? Is it finances? Is it kids? Is it a prodigal in your family that's going wayward? Is it something that's keeping you up at night? Is it something that's terrifying you? When you read this, understand that we have a God who wants to be involved in our lives, who sees everything that happens, and you know what? He wants us to be in eternity with him. Jesus said he came to give us abundant life, you know, eternal life and abundant life, life more abundant. And, uh, he, you know, the more we understand, the more we invite him into our heart, the more we're fulfilled. He's, he's ministering to us here. A lot of people are complaining about the, our country and the direction it's turning into. And Christians, let this give you comfort. Let us not get bitter and angry. That's what the enemy wants. He wants a bunch of bitter, angry Christians walking around, just ready to snap at somebody if they say Merry Christmas and they don't say Merry Christmas back. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> That's not what God wants for us. You know, we get into these camps. You know, well, it's the holiday season, and I'm going to make sure everybody knows that I'm going to say Merry Christmas and let somebody dare say to me, don't say that. Is that our attitude? You know, I mean, holidays are coming up. Let's remember the reason for the season. You know, God wants us to be the ones that even when people dump on us, that they can turn to us and say, well, they weren't moved by that. And then maybe a month later, that coworker who stepped on you for a promotion 
and they get promoted and they come to you with a problem or an illness, would you be there for them? They don't know the Lord. I know, it's, it's so hard. And it's hard in ministry because we're supposed to set this example. And people say, what's well, my pastor? He, he can set that example. No, we're all. I can't be at your workplace. I can't be at your family gatherings. Some of them I might not want to be at. But, but what I'm saying is that we, we, we're God's representation. We're his representatives. And I'm just here to give you that application. But this is encouraging because we know that eventually God will put an end to all man-ruled empires, all sorrow-filled, all heartbreaking, all tragedy, all leaving their people in poverty while they live in the lap of luxury. It's all going to end. And God will be on the throne for eternity. Amen? Amen? 11. I watched then because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking. I watched till the beast was slain and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. As for the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. This seems to take us into, well, it, it does take us into Revelation. You know, the Lord comes back, there's a second coming, um, the Antichrist tries to make war, believe it or not, with his earthly troops and earthly weapons against Christ. Of course, Christ wins. History written in advance, but he's still going to try because the Bible says he's going to try. And, uh, and then Christ, he rules. And he, um, the Antichrist is sent into judgment. Revelation 19.20, you see his punishment. People have a lot of questions about hell. Eternal hell, the eternal place is literally a burning lake of fire. To me, it doesn't sound like a fun place to spend eternity in. And that's why we warn people. But it says this in verse 20, Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet, the religious wing of this, this trio, who worked signs, actually a false uh, trinity, it's a, it's a counterfeit, who worked signs in his presence by when he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. Punishment, cast alive. Not, I burn and then I die and cease to exist. It's a constant. You know, um, those that want to... <laughs> I, I have a friend with this name, but I, there's a pastor. His name is Rob Bell. And uh, he wrote a book basically saying there is no hell and nobody goes to hell and all this. And that's really sad. I'd rather be warned about a place that I don't want to end up than somebody make me feel good and then I, I'm like, oh my goodness, how did this happen? So, you know, listen, people like us, we have to tell the truth. Um, but there are those that, that lie and tell you things that tell you what you want to hear so they can sell books, and it's terrible. So we have this judgment on the Antichrist and his kingdom, and uh, of course he's slain. He's slain. And, and I, I, just, I just have to say this, that, you know, I'm going into First Kings a week from Wednesday, and uh, King Jeroboam, you know, he tells the people what they want to hear. Rehoboam tells the people what they want to hear. Uh, they, they don't change. They pacify the masses. They, they do it for popularity. Um, here we see this leader who comes on the scene who's a wicked leader. And sometimes people ask the question, well, if God knew that in advance, why would he do that? There is a maxim in the scripture that basically says that if we continue as people to rebel against God, rebel against God, rebel against God. In Israel, they killed all the good, most of the good prophets. They tortured them, they killed them. They, they, they were speaking for God. And of course, the Messiah came and they killed him too. That God will be fine and he'll send them wicked rulers and wicked prophets and liars and they'll have to live under that. But he would say, well, that's mean. No, it's really not mean. God, I don't want to follow you. I want to go my own way. Will you just leave me alone? I don't want, I don't want your love. I don't want... So, all right. You know, he gave us free will. So a lot of these communities, wicked people rose up. And today, and unfortunately in Christianity, wicked people rise up. And they tell you just what you want to hear. And they lull you into spiritual coma. And then when something happens, we're not prepared. So... Verse 13, last two verses we're going to cover. It says, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, Jesus our hero, coming with the clouds of heaven, he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. 
Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. The last kingdom, Messiah's kingdom. I don't have any sound effects for that one. (laughs) But basically it's commensurate with the uncut stone in Daniel chapter 2. It smashes the, the metal idol of the man, it grinds it into power and the stone grinds it into powder and the stone fills the entire earth. This is where human run history ends. Once again, the father and the son come together and they have a plan. John three sixteen, all right, this is we're going back. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. Father, Son, Holy Spirit agreed that we need to save mankind. We don't want to destroy them. So they came to this idea, of course, internal wisdom to send the Son to die for our sins. It was great that he taught us. It was great that he did miracles. It's great that biographies were written about him, but that was not the reason he came. He came so that we wouldn't die in our sins without any hope. So here you have something going on again Father, Son, Holy Spirit get together. The Son is being prepared to go in the second coming and stop human-run history. He's going to get incredible resistance, but of course, and he's going to come back for judgment. And like I've said in an earlier message, um, I want to take the first bus. Okay? There's two buses. We're in the time of the first bus. We're in the age of grace. At any time, anybody can come to Christ, receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and start walking with him. That's awesome. The second bus is a place where the world will have to worship him out of obligation. We worship him now out of adoration. We love the Lord. I didn't pay anybody to be here. Okay, I didn't force anybody. I didn't bribe anybody to come here. We're here because we love the Lord. We want to hear what his word says. But the age of grace will run out. My advice, take the first bus. The first time the Lord comes for his church, and this is amazing, the clouds of heaven, it's a common theme with Jesus, 1 Thessalonians 4. You know what? Take, take heart on a cloudy day. Think of the Lord Jesus. He's going to come back in the clouds of heaven. Oh, it's kind of gloomy. Well, but Jesus is going to come back on a day like this. I don't know that for sure, but just enjoy it. So 1 Thessalonians 4, the Lord Jesus comes in the clouds of heaven. He calls his people home before this horrible time on the earth. You think it's bad now, it's going to get infinitesimally infinitesimally worse. Two, the Lord will return in his second coming, Matthew 24, 30, also on the clouds, but it'll be for judgment. And that's in, in a future time in our history. So the book of Revelation fills in a bunch of blanks for us, and basically we have a situation where Daniel, again, a lot of his Jewish companions probably came to him and said, oh man, we just missed being in Israel. We were taken here as slaves. You know, we, these guys have these pagan gods all over the place. And I could just imagine the conversations. And Daniel's like, yes, I got this vision from God. And it's going to be good. It, this isn't going to be like this forever. As a matter of fact, during the Persian Empire, they sent a lot of the Jews who wanted to go back home. They, they freed them from their captivity, which was an awesome thing. So second generation from Daniel. But Daniel comforted them. But the Jews couldn't stop these world empires. They didn't have the physical power. John, in the book of Revelation, also comforted Christians. The Christians couldn't stop the Roman Empire. They were too powerful. God didn't give them that mandate. And you know what? We, as American Christians, see things that we don't like. We see a lot more wickedness. We see a lack of justice a lot of times in our society. We see poverty. We see inequities. And that is something that offends the the deepest part of a sense of justice in all of us. We see a ruling class, even though we can vote in this country, that are getting further and further removed, both parties, from the average people that they're supposed to serve. When Congress and the presidency started, it was very different. It really was a serving. What can we take from this? Well, if we are here by the horns, by the toes in human history, 
then we'll be blessed to know that the Lord's return is coming soon. We're not at the head. They had to wait a long time at the head. We're pretty far down. And we know that the prophetic clock is running out. And that's a blessing. Two, we should be praying fervently for our country and the unsaved. That, you know, I, I see it too. We have, we're in the professional world. They tease you. They make fun of you. They, they all kinds of stuff about being a Christian. You just let it go because you ultimately want to see that person saved. We don't want to ruin that witness, and it's hard. It's hard being the better person all the time. It's not easy, and it only can be done through prayer and the filling of the Holy Spirit. Three, I believe that revival and a work of the Holy Spirit won't be a show. It's not going to be covered by all the media outlets. It'll be discreet. It'll be off the radar, but it will be a result as Christians are praying and evangelizing and doing what the Lord called us to do. And thankfully for Daniel in the book of Revelation, we yearn for the day that the Lord will come and make it all new and it'll be righteous and then we can have hope that it's right around the corner. So here's the question. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Do we just memorize it or do we mean it when we say it? Jesus said in this manner. He didn't say repeat it 50 times. He said the heathens do that because they think their gods will hear them from their repetition. We as Christians don't do that. But my question is, do we believe it? When Jesus said, and when we say, his kingdom will come, his kingdom, his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You've been listening to to every generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.